section eighteen of the english restoration and louis the fourteenth by osmond airy this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami chapter fourteen the triple alliance and peace of aix-la-chapelle number one various projects of charles underlying the other causes of the parliamentary attack upon clarendon had been the conviction that he was directing english policy in the french interest it was this jealousy of the french power the jealousy of the nation as distinct from the king which now led to the formation of a great european coalition against louis the project of a close alliance between england and the republic had been discussed even before the close of the late war it first took shape in the mind of sir william temple an intimate friend of de witt and the most cultured of english diplomatists he had fretted under the success of louis in fostering a war whereby the two great naval and protestant powers destroyed one another's strength and he longed to repay him in kind de witt had listened to his proposals readily the sole object of the grand pensionary was to stay the approach of france toward the dutch frontier and he had tried in vain to induce louis to pledge himself to hold his hand he had too reason to hope that sweden sore at lyons arrogance would throw in her lot with that of the two other protestant powers his agent in london was therefore directed to work upon the fears of charles by declaring that if england did not join the republic the dutch would be driven to a close alliance with louis and upon his pride by putting before him the headship of a great protestant coalition at the same time he tried to bring louis to terms by letting him know that on the one hand he was treating directly with castel rodrigo and on the other had good hopes of a league with austria sweden and england the implied threat drew from louis nothing but a curt and angry reply the focus of diplomatic intrigue was now transferred to london Rouvigny, the french ambassador a personal friend of clarendon was dispatched to england in the utmost haste well furnished with funds to enforce his arguments and with instructions to renew to charles himself the promise of french help against his own subjects before however he reached london clarendon had fallen and he had to deal with buckingham and arlington between whom the power which the chancellor had left behind was now divided he was received with perfect frankness charles expressed the warmest personal regard for louis but declared that parliament would never consent to an alliance with france and among all whom rouvigny approached he found the conviction that england would not stand idle while france was taking the whole of the spanish low countries louis on receiving rouvigny's report showed the liveliest anxiety to soothe the parliamentary opposition rendered keener by the news that clarendon had landed in france he forbade the fallen minister to come to paris he instructed rouvigny to press upon charles the shame of being a slave to his parliament and the prospect of avenging the insult at chatham concealing the fact that he was at the moment in active negotiations with de witt charles replied by hinting at generous offers from spain a large supply of ready money a part of the french conquests in the spanish low countries 
and important commercial advantages might however move him louis at once october sixteen sixty seven instructed ruvigny to promise the money demanded increased facilities for trade with france and the spanish low countries and french aid in ships and money to conquer the spanish possessions in the west indies the question of places in the spanish low countries was however waived the diplomatic contest between france and the republic was accentuated by the personal rivalry of buckingham and arlington the former a vain man devoid alike of principle and political insight was wholly in the french interest he hoped to receive the command of an english contingent in the service of louis arlington equally vain and unscrupulous had succeeded to the principal direction of foreign affairs by his evident capacity for business and coolness of judgment he may indeed be regarded almost as a statesman of the first rank it was greatly in his favour that he was the only one of charles's ministers with a knowledge of european languages sufficient to enable him to converse easily with foreign ambassadors he perfectly understood the temper of the english people and having married a lady from holland was inclined to the dutch rather than the french connection the opportunity now offered him of thwarting buckingham tended in the same direction while therefore engaged in apparent concert with the latter in preliminaries with ruvigny which he had no intention of seriously pursuing he at the same moment busied himself with charles's sanction but without buckingham's knowledge in direct and serious negotiations with de witt in pursuance of this policy terms were placed before louis in december of a nature likely to ensure their rejection louis in return sent the draft of a treaty equally distasteful to the english government charles hereupon asserted that england was so exhausted by the late war that repose was absolutely necessary and that he was therefore determined upon a course of strict neutrality louis was compelled to hide his irritation at this the first serious check to his diplomatic success by proclaiming that such neutrality was really more to his interest than war inasmuch as the dutch no longer fearing the union of england and france would lay aside much of their jealousy with respect to his movements privately however he expressed profound disappointment it is a lively illustration of the political morality of the time that simultaneously with these negotiations charles was offering to spain too his act of alliance his terms were as always ready money and commercial expansion he demanded a heavy subsidy permission to send a fixed number of ships for unrestricted trade to buenos aires and the philippines privileges in antwerp which was again to become the rival of amsterdam and through the exercise of spanish influence free trade with the hansa towns both the poverty and the pride of spain stood in the way of the acceptance of such terms number two the triple alliance nothing therefore now remained if england was to take action at all but the acceptance of the union with the republic proposed by de witt to compel louis to bind himself to one or other of his alternatives and to this under arlington's influence charles now found decisive reasons for turning most of all the hope that such an alliance might put to rest the increasing clamour of parliament was an argument which influenced a king who habitually acted along the line of least resistance early in january sixteen sixty eight 
temple was sent off in haste to the hague two difficulties threatened to retard the conclusion of the alliance de witt had dealt a severe blow to the orange faction and had offended charles by obtaining the perpetual separation of the stadtholdership from the command of the land and sea forces to this he wished for charles's acquiescence and he now secured this acquiescence by affecting to hang back from the treaty on which the king was for the moment bent the other difficulty was that while haste and secrecy were of the last necessity the peculiar constitution of the dutch government which required the sanction of all treaties by the provincial estates rendered haste and secrecy impossible it happened however that during the late war the provincial estates had for urgency delegated their power to a commission of eight members which was still undissolved to this body the business was referred and upon their agreement the treaty was at once ratified by the states-general temple thus completely outwitted d'estrade the french ambassador at the hague who reported to lyonne that some arrangement was in the wind but that it would be easy to secure its defeat when brought as the constitution demanded before the provincial estates on january thirteenth sixteen sixty eight temple succeeded in concluding three separate treaties by the first each power was bound to assist the other if attacked in europe with forty ships of the line six thousand infantry and four hundred cavalry by the second they were to endeavour to restore peace between france and spain on the basis of the alternatives to obtain from louis a secession of arms until the end of may to guarantee the cession by spain of the places to which he would become entitled and finally to induce him under this guarantee to renounce further conquests in the spanish low countries even if force should be found necessary to compel spain to observe the agreement in these two treaties all sign of menace to louis had been sedulously avoided the third which was strictly secret was of a different character it provided that whichever of the parties refused to consent to the alternatives force should be used to compel her to accept peace if france were recalcitrant the war upon her should not cease until she had been reduced to the limits imposed by the peace of the pyrenees no protest was made against the future claim of louis to the spanish monarchy and it was doubtless hoped that since the conditions of peace were those proposed by louis himself the secret article would never be called into play to this treaty sweden gave her adhesion in april conditionally upon obtaining from spain the payments to which she laid claim such however was the poverty of spain that she was unable to find the money and the difficulty was got over only by england and the republic guaranteeing the payment at a future time the signature of sweden was affixed on may fifteenth the treaty has thus become known as the triple alliance important as the triple alliance was both in its immediate effects and as the first formal expression of european resistance to the aggressions of louis it was so far as charles was concerned a piece of gross political knavery his hopes were in reality steadily fixed on france and on the day after the treaty was signed he wrote both to his sister henrietta who was in the confidence of louis and to louis himself to explain his action as forced upon him by his subjects 
he had too the special meanness to declare that it was the dutch and not he who had proposed and pressed the matter forward by the secret treaty he had cleverly and fatally compromised the dutch in the eyes of louis and had thus secured their isolation if ever he should himself desire to attack them again number three peace of aix-la-chapelle in the face of this coalition louis might well pause in his career the peace which portugal had made with spain naturally tended in the same direction since it set free to fight in the spanish netherlands whatever forces spain still possessed the three events the partition treaty the triple alliance and the peace of portugal with spain now brought about a short period of repose for europe but louis had meanwhile had time to strike another blow on the mediation of the pope he had in september sixteen sixty seven granted a truce of three months at its conclusion in january sixteen sixty eight the diet asked for a further period of three months during which terms might be arranged but louis while consenting to keep open the negotiations refused a suspension of arms the confidence of castel rodrigo who declared that nature herself would enforce a suspension incited him to an unexpected enterprise winter campaigns had been till then almost unknown in european warfare but louis broke through the general practice he determined to overrun franche comte which lay temptingly open to attack his preparations were rapidly made a corps of fifteen thousand men were placed under the command of conde on the second after sending notice of his intention to all the european powers he left st germain in a fortnight all was over the spaniards could oppose only twelve thousand disorganized troops to conde's corps d'élite and by the nineteenth before europe had recovered from her surprise the only places capable of offering resistance were in louis's hands he now received from the english and dutch envoys the formal announcement of the triple alliance their communication was couched in terms of studied compliment the whole stress being laid upon the intended compulsion of spain in accordance with the treaty they asked for a suspension of arms until the end of may sixteen sixty eight to this louis replied that spain by making peace with portugal showed her intention of continuing the war and that to grant the suspension demanded would merely give her three months in which to strengthen herself while he with one hundred thousand men ready to march had to stand by with folded arms to show his anxiety to satisfy europe however he would hold his hand until may sixteenth upon an undertaking that the ratifications of the treaty with spain on the basis of the alternatives were exchanged by that date and would even give back to spain all he might have taken since march thirty first the date he had originally offered for the conclusion of an arrangement this decision was arrived at only after long consideration in the unprepared condition of the other powers no less than in his own readiness for attack in the advice of conde and turenne and in the feeling of paris where the warlike spirit was so strong that it was a mortal sin even to mention peace louis had every temptation to immediate war moreover he had through the treachery of charles learned with excessive indignation of the secret provisions of the triple alliance other considerations however prevailed the necessity of garrisoning any towns he might capture would enfeeble his army 
while a general european coalition would probably at once follow any further attack war would but consolidate the triple alliance which was sure before long if he were moderate to fall asunder by its own weight franche comte could be rendered powerless before he gave it up and the towns which he already possessed in the spanish low countries would place the rest at his mercy when a more favourable moment should arrive he therefore on april fifteenth sixteen sixty eight agreed to the following terms up to may thirty first he would accept whichever of the alternatives spain might choose during the next two months he should raise his terms to the first alternative he should add the possession of luxembourg or lille and tournay to the second that of franche comte cambrai and the cambrai should nothing have been settled by the end of july the whole question would be open to revision england and the republic bound themselves meanwhile to attack spain after may thirty first should she refuse to concur reserving for their action the northeastern while he dealt with the southwestern portion of the still unoccupied part of the spanish low countries without resources or prospects of efficient help castel rodrigo at length gave way though the pride dilatoriness and formality of the court of madrid so effectually seconded his reluctance that it was not until may twenty ninth that the treaty was finally concluded looking more to a future war with france than to the present peace he decided to accept the second alternative since the first which included the french possession of franche comte would have closed all communication between the spanish low countries the empire and lorraine the dutch too he felt would by this choice be alarmed at the proximity of france and would be more interested in the continued defence of the rest of the spanish low countries the advantages gained by louis were immense victory had as it were been given him by compulsion and he appeared before europe as the apostle of moderation confronted by a formidable alliance he had himself laid down the conditions of peace and those conditions contained not one word to hamper his action in that which especially caused the fears of europe the prosecution of his claim to the spanish monarchy the fortresses of charleroi binch at douay with scarpe tournay audenarde lille armentieres courtrai berg and furne with their districts which were now secured to him by treaty constituted a veritable frontiere de fer the impregnable northeastern frontier of france for which henry the fourth richelieu and mazarin had all striven paris was now the real centre of the country and the way for the next step to european supremacy was open and easy End of section eighteen